Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. So today, I have uh, another special guest with you, uh, with me today, that is going to talk about his new book. Uh, The title of the book is Leadership Two Words at a Time, Simple Truth for Leading Complicated People. So if that's not uh, a hook, I don't know what is. So uh, I'm excited to talk to uh, Bill Treasurer, who is the founder of Giant Leap Consulting. Uh, And interestingly, because I I have so many things I want to ask him about, he has what is described as a courage-building company and that they say that they're on a mission to help people and organizations to be more courageous. So I'm going to stop talking and just welcome Bill. Welcome, Bill. Dr. Perkins, you did give me the uh, invitation to call you Brian, so I'm going to call you Brian. I am delighted yeah. to be here with you and with your listeners and and, uh, and really excited to talk about leadership with you. Yes, yes. So, listen, first I have to start. I know you, you started a consulting firm and a lot of firms out there. I have to admit this is the first time that I've seen someone with a firm that they describe as a courage-building company. So, I, if you don't mind, take me from – I know you've, been, you, you've taught and, and coached a number of, of executives – You've been an executive um, in, with Accenture and some other companies, and so if you could just briefly take me through, how did you get to where you are now in uh, Giant Leap, deciding that you wanted to start Giant Leap? So my backstory is kind of unusual, probably compared to some other folks that you've had on your show. Uh, in the last 11 years. If you rewind far enough back into my background, I was a professional high diver. I used to dive from 100-foot platforms into small pools that were 10 feet deep, traveling at speeds in excess of 50 miles an hour. I was a member of the U.S. high diving team. Uh, oh, protected, wow. Brian. Uh, you know, we didn't have any. We didn't have any football gear on. We didn't have any right. big padding or anything. I was protected at 100 feet, going 50 miles an hour, and all I was wearing was a speedo. And believe me, wow. that took courage. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> so, so what I found in that time, I got, uh, and it's actually how I got interested in leadership development. I was leading a troop of athletes, and we uh-huh. we had uh, diving shows all around the country in. A lot of Six Flags parks and marine land down in Florida, Magic Mountain in California, Great Adventure up in New Jersey, and this sort of thing. And we'd have these diving shows, and we would do Olympic-style diving. I was a, a college diver at West Virginia University, and uh, we would do these diving shows. And the show would culminate in one of the divers climbing up a 100-foot radio tower and do, okay. do a high dive in front of audiences that range to upwards of 40,000 people. But I was leading a group of young athletes, and I did a bad job. I didn't know Ooh. who I was as a leader. I had no mm. actual confidence, just false confidence. And, and so I was really obnoxious. And one of the 
divers took me aside one day. He was older than I was, so he maybe had a little bit more courage. And he looked me in the eye and he said, listen, if you ever talk to us like you just talked to us again, I will walk. I don't need the job this much to be treated by as poorly as you treat us by wow. anybody. So, mm. And I, I thought about it that night. I was really, I was kind of embarrassed. I didn't really know what to say. And mm. I, the next day I went and I bought a book. And I'm sure it's a book you've heard of. It's called The One Minute Manager by yeah. Ken Blanchard. Yeah. And picked that book up. And, and like light bulbs started going off, and I got interested in the subject, and I got a little bit better as a leader, and it set me on a path. And then I just, you know, read some other books, decided to go to graduate school and study leadership. And then I came out of graduate school, and I worked for a couple of consulting companies, a couple of small ones first, and then I went to Accenture, one of the world's largest management consulting companies, and I became their first full-time internal executive coach and I was mm. coaching partners and associate partners and mm -hmm. when I decided years later to start my own business I wanted to do what other consulting companies do we kind of all do strategy so we do strategic planning we all do leadership development and I do leadership development and you know we all do team development and team building and I said but what what can differentiate my consulting company from other consulting companies that is authentic to my own experience. And there's a lot of stuff that I don't know, but I do know how to take a risk. I knew how to be comfortable with discomfort. And there's, um, and what I find is that courage is needed so much in business. I mean, to be a leader means to render bold decisions that people are going to disagree with. That takes courage Absolutely. to have a conversation that is authentic and and move into difficult dicey conversations takes courage to to just raise your hand and say I need help takes mm -hmm. courage so I thought let's differentiate the business by making it a courage building consulting company and now that's actually one of the URLs you can go to courage building and you'll find giant leap consulting so that's the, mm. the backstory of how the business got wow. started well wow. well you know one thing that you just you said that um, struck me was that you didn't know who you were as a leader. And the program, as you know, that I, uh, I direct at Columbia University at Teachers College uh, is a public school leadership program. And I, I like to say that our, like one of the cornerstones of that program is know thyself. And, and so we, we spend a lot of time, and I like to say, deconstructing people uh, when they come to the program and want and and help them understand that there are pieces that we need to rearrange in in their profile and in some cases there's some things you throw away and some things you you put back in but that you really need to know who you are as a leader before you can lead other people and and so we we spend a lot of time like right out the gate we spend time doing things like um, the the Strengths Finder um, uh, instrument, and we we give uh, give them a lot of instruments that help them look in the mirror almost. And so, uh, my question to you, because it sounds like when you were confronted by that that member of the team, uh, it took it took a great deal of self reflection. And and 
subsequently self-awareness. But my question to you, was it just the book that helped you reflect, or what did you do to help you know who you are as a leader? What, what specifically were the things that helped you uncover that? And let me, let me uh, just you know, add that uh, it, my new book, the very first chapter is Know Thyself. Literally, those are the two wow. words of the first chapter, right? That's the <laughs> okay. header. And I, oh. It's so central. What you're getting yeah. at is so central to leadership. And yeah. part of the reason it's central is there are a lot of leaders who are oblivious to who they are, and they do a lot of damage in the world through that, you know, sort of blindness to themselves, They're walking mm-hmm. around with, you know, huge blind spots that other people tiptoe around and too afraid to tell the leader for their heavy-handed response. Mm-hmm. Um, in my case, I, I can't say that it was instantaneous, right? It, it was an evolution. Now, there were some things later in my life that made it more rapid. Uh, but early on, it was first getting introduced to the fact that, oh, there's actually a body of knowledge about how to get people to respond to you that I can draw upon. In other words, there's expertise around leadership. I mean, that, that suddenly it became prominent to me because this person had given me that really tough feedback. Because mm-hmm. up until that moment, what I was relying on was the leadership behavior of my prior boss and my boss before that and ultimately my dad. And my dad, for every, you know, there's plenty of good redeeming things, but my dad was a hothead, and he was a mm-hmm. short-fused person. Mm-hmm. And that carried mm-hmm. into my DNA, and that's sure. how I responded through leadership, because sure. I thought, well, that, that's my model. That must be mm-hmm. what leadership is. So right. now when I start reading books like The One Minute Manager and Up the Organization and the other books that I was, you know, and, and In Search of Excellence and all, you know, the uh, Seven Habits, Highly Effective People, I'm thinking back to the 80s and late 80s and early 90s, that that now I was introduced to, oh, there's actually things that I can do. The self-awareness came along a parallel journey when I started to run into myself. Um, there's a, a great quote from uh, the coach of the Pittsburgh Pirates, the former coach, his name is Clint Hurdle. He wrote the forward to one of my books. He said, Bill, I've learned that there are two types of leaders, those who have been humbled and those who are about to be. Wow. And, and every leader is going to have a humiliating experience. But that's a good thing because when you get to that moment of humiliation where you do something that's embarrassing, when you get bad feedback on a 360-degree feedback, it becomes the entry point to that's evaluate right. yourself and you, that's you right. realize maybe I'm part of the common denominator. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm the one who might need to change. Mm-hmm. So for mm-hmm. me, I had a couple of life experiences along the way that – caused me to say, okay, I'm going to need to do a deeper level of awareness. And, you know, frankly, part of that, part of my journey has been therapy. Uh, I'm not active in it now, but at that moment in time in my young 30s, went through the therapeutic process, did a lot of self-evaluation reflection. I have gone through a 360. I do 360s now as part of my coaching practice. So, yes, I think that it's much, you're going to be a more authentic, real ultimately more comfortable in your own skin kind of leader when you have knowledge of who you are than walking around fully oblivious and doing a lot of damage. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you, you also mentioned, I want to go back to the, the example you gave about what kind of your, your eye-opening experience or really getting slapped mm-hmm. in the face with your yeah. ineffectiveness as a leader in that, in that point um, was that you were not only just a leader, you were the leader of a high-performing team. And, and so 
I think that that made it a little, uh, if not a lot, that made it a little bit complicated itself. That you already have, uh, in some cases, people who are used to getting things right and getting done, getting it done uh, well, and and so it, that's not an easy group to coach or uh, lead. So uh, because you know, I think about what's so complicated in some cases about high-performing teams is that um, a lot of times, and I've, I've been in this situation myself, where they're already their worst critic. They have, they have uh, triple-A-type personalities, get it done, get it done now, do it better than anyone else. So in a lot of ways, it's hard to hear when there's room for improvement. So it's, it's difficult. And so I, I guess my just just a little bit of analysis to ask you of, of of that team, how difficult was it for you to step in? So thinking about, and I, I want to put it in context, thinking about what your models had been, and many of us have had the same ones you described, people who, <laughs> I'm the boss, the, bu- the buck stops here, right? You had, those are the kinds of, right. of and that's what, it, that's what it looks like for leadership. But now you have some people that are intrinsically motivated and, and high-performing. And, and so my question is, how, how difficult did that really make it for you, if you as you think about other teams that may not have been as high-performing? Because a lot of times we're, we're asked to come in and do kind of turnaround work, too of teams that aren't doing well uh, when you're in the role that you have. But, how, but this particular team, I want to I hear um, what, what you think, uh, what role you think the fact that they were high-performing uh, played in your difficulty with them. But yeah, it's interesting, uh, Brian. I've never been asked that, and I'm, I'm reflecting on it as you're uh, telling, you know, asking the question. I guess what comes to mind is that what it makes me recognize is that, and I don't, I don't think this is a gigantic revelation, I think you'll, you'll hear it in your head, it'll probably start nodding yes, is that a lot of my um, sort of, uh, you know, toughness as a leader and my heavy-handedness and my pointing a finger in their faces and do it again and that, you know, like sort of over-directive was masking my own intimidation of them. I was intimidated by the fact that they were so good. I was gotcha. intimidated by if I don't want to do a bad job leading this high caliber of a team. If I fail, it's going to be failing in front of them and then the people that I report to that are you know, making money for this uh, amusement park that we work for. So I think fear was – and I think that that mask – a lot of times we mask our fear through the inflation of our ego. So we come mm. off as the, the person who's full confident and I press my chest out and I'm you know, pump, I'm pounding my chest about how I'm the – I am the silverback right in the in the room because I'm masking the fact that I feel intimidated and afraid. So I think that that's probably was my response to the high performing mm-hmm. team is to mm-hmm. not wanting them to see my fear, and as a response, sort of mask it with this um, embellishment of fake confidence. Um, you know, you one of the things that you said earlier too reminded me of a book that I read years ago. I don't know if you heard of it, 
Um, uh, but you said you, you, what, what made me think of this was when you said that I started to realize that I was the common denominator, right, um, with, with things that may not have gone wrong, gone well. Um, there was a book, and I can't remember, but this, I, I know this was probably 20 years ago. Uh, I hate to date myself, but there was a book that um, the title of the book was How Come Every Time I Get Stabbed in the Back, My Fingerprints Are on the Knife. And, <laughs> and <laughs> it's a great title, right? <laughs> um, and, and, yeah. and so the author entertained was kind of meditations on management. Um, but, mm. but I think the whole point here is that, that we, in a lot of ways, are responsible, just as we, we want to say, I, I, I was successful because of the things that I did, but I'm, I was also not as successful because of the things that I did. And at the same right. time, often, right? Like, there, we, we did well. We probably could have done better. Even, uh, totally. Cases, yeah. So. Totally. And and I think that leaders often get in their own way. I mean, certainly there are outside, exter- you know, external uh, situations and circumstances that can, you know, influence a leader to fail. Um, but oftentimes a leader is getting in their own way, and and many times the genesis of that is their own ego, their own mm-hmm. ego attachment to being right. For example, would be a classic example, right? Uh, their their own ego at not willing to be the one to say that I need to look at myself. It's them that are wrong. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who need to be fixed. Mm-hmm. Um, so our ego attachment gets you know gets in the way. Mm-hmm. I think that we want a leader to be confident. That you know the leader, the two leaders that we don't want, it seems to me, and that I've written about a number of times. So we we actually don't want that pig-headed, you know, bull in the china shop. Uh, my way or the highway, old school kind of leaders. There's still a lot of them out there. I, I work with a lot of construction companies, and that's kind of the common way to lead in a construction company. But it is now becoming, you know, outdated because people don't respond to it, particularly the new generation of folks. They've got choices. They don't have to work for a leader like that, so they'll walk mm-hmm. or go somewhere else. But we don't want, we don't want the pighead. But we also don't want the weakling. Right. We also don't want the mealy-mouthed, unable to take a stand, indecisive, wishy-washy, um, pandering, weakling. So we don't yeah. want an over, the, the big ego, but we don't want the weak ego either. And That's sort of right. getting that right-sized ego is really important right. to leading. Right. And right-sized is, is the key word. And so before we, we, we dive into uh, a little bit about your book, so you you are described as a courage building company. So uh, so it sounds like what you're saying is like that right fit, that right sizing of the ego is part of your work. Tell me about that aspect of the work you do. How do you how do you build courage among uh, leaders, executives, and even middle management leaders in in organizations? Sure. Well, the, the place that we like to start, so we, you know, like I mentioned before, in terms of the service lines, we have services that are common to other consulting companies. The first is strategic planning. We call it courageous future, that if you want to put courage in the system, you should start with bold strategic goals and initiatives. Where are we going? What is our vision? Where are we trying to get to? 
And is it worthy of the application of everybody's courage here? Is it challenging enough? It, does it give us a big gulp when we look at it and say, wow, that's audacious? So it starts with big goals, and we do that through strategic planning. But once you yeah. have those big goals, you need leaders that are going to marshal people and inspire people and help us get to those goals. So we do leadership development, and we call that courageous leadership. It's, it's right. the fast amount of the work that we do. Um, yeah. And then at the team level, you want teams to be able to interact courageously with one another, to be able to move in the direction of the goals that were set forth in the courageous future. So we do courageous teaming. But at the individual level, we do a lot of executive coaching. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to have goals for the organization that inspire people. It's another thing to have really good leaders that are motivating us forward. It's great to be in a team environment that is psychologically safe. At the end of the day, it also has to factor in me at that individual level leading. And executive coaching is a great way to help a person build authentic confidence, identify who they are as a leader, have somebody who's on their side who can gently, sometimes assertively, point out their blind spots and help them through that process. So, so we do it in, in those ways, but the individual way is through a lot of executive coaching. And part of that often does involve a battery of surveys. And one of them is we have a self-rated benchmark tool. It's a, we start it. We have regular 360-degree feedback, but we start with, hey, if you were going to do a 360 on yourself, what would, how do you rate yourself on 18 different dimensions of leadership? Mm-hmm. And then how do you think your people would rate you on a scale of 1 to 10? And how do you think your boss would rate you? And how would you rate yourself now versus six months from now? So we let them self that out. And then that, gives us, that points out gaps for them that they might want to close according to those 18 dimensions, those different competencies of leadership. And then after the coaching process, which can take, you know, sometimes it's a long time, but let's yeah. say in a year's time, then we'll have them do the benchmark again, and then they can see how they close the gaps. Yeah, yeah that makes a lot of sense. Um, I, one of the things that you said also resonated with me about um, people being courageous and and I thought about being given the the latitude to be courageous and fail uh, more recently more recently in my organization, one of my assistant directors came to me with an initiative and and I thought it was a great idea and of course, there were some things that needed to be flushed out but uh, I thought, oh, this is definitely in the right direction. And so in in my organization, we try to use uh, a design thinking uh, process. And so where you test things, you prototype them. Um, and, and so there was a point where she said, um, I'm going to get feedback. And, and it was just excessive amount of, I'm going to show it to this, this person and in this group and get feedback. And I said, so here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to just try it and see what you learn from knowing that it's not, it's not perfect. It's far from finished, but see what you learn there. Don't over customize kind of your results. Stop now. You have something decent designed, try it. And so, and I'm, I'm giving that example because she was quite, uh, I don't want to say confused, but shocked to hear me say, I know it's not going to work. <laughs> it's not going to be 100%. <laughs> but, 
but there are things that you're going to learn from making some mistakes, and that's what I want you to do. And I've, I've found often some of my biggest, and, and, and I say it, and I totally say it, I, I don't just, you know, kind of preach this or, you know, t- teach it, that I really believe that, that those are really important ways in which we learn is by also being courageous enough, but knowing that they're, they're, it's not going to all go well. And so as a right. leader, I encourage other leaders to build courage uh, in the ranks by just giving people the flexibility uh, and opportunities to fail in, in front of you and, and say, I know this mm. isn't going to work, and it's okay. We will learn mm. from it anyway. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And, and that's a very evolved way of leading on your, your part too, because you know, part of the question becomes, and for your listeners too, is how do you respond when mistakes are made? Because yeah. if you are yeah. – you know, if you don't approach it like a learning experience, believe me, that person who did the mistake, they're self-humiliating anyway, right? Like they, yeah, they yeah. know they made the mistake, and for you to yeah. pile on top of it, if, if right. uh, you know, right. as a lot of leaders do, then you right. shut them down. But you, you used it as an invitation to, yeah. to say, look, this is a normal part of the innovation process, a normal part of experimenting and growing in such. We, we make these mistakes and we fall forward. What comes to mind for me is I, I have the – good fortune of being able to work with some pretty cool people. I mean, in the last week alone, I worked with uh, Ed Veasters. He's been to the top of Mount Everest seven times. And wow. he talks about that, yes. you know, the first couple of times he almost summited, but he didn't the first two times, first two attempts. And imagine oh. so much sponsorship money. People are counting wow, on you yeah, yeah. 300 feet from the summit. And he turned around and he walked back down. 300 the conditions feet. had changed. Only oh. 300 feet, and, and keep in mind that, you know, it's 20, what, 8,000 feet, 29,000 feet yes, in Mount yes. Everest? Yes. And now he's only 300 feet for the summit, his first time. He's got all sorts of, you know, people pressure, home is like, everybody's counting on him. But the weather started to change, and he had, you know, already climbed Mount Rainier 250 times. So he, he was like, okay, something's not right, and he decided to walk back down. But, and he did that the second time he attempted it, like a, two years later, now, he's really America's most gifted climber. He, like I said, he's attempted 11 times, but he's been up there seven times. He's also um, summited all 14 8,000-meter summits, the only American to have done so. And he's mm-hmm. known as a calculated risk taker. But mm-hmm. what he will tell you is there's plenty of times, and that's just one mountain, Everest, that he didn't summit. There's plenty of others that he's you know, close to the top but doesn't get there. He doesn't call it a failure. He calls it a non-success. He says, mm-hmm. okay, I, I didn't do it today. All I'm going to do is going to walk that, back down the mountain. I'm going to regroup. Maybe it's a year. Maybe it's two years. But I'm coming back. And that, I thought that that was like, it's a great sort of, you know, mm-hmm. perspective on failure. The second story I'd like to quickly share with you is that I've also had the good fortune of having worked with Sarah Blakely, the founder of Spanx. And I worked with her, I guess, about four times. She wrote the foreword to one of my books, my second book, Courage Goes to Work. She wrote the foreword to that book. And she tells the story when she was a little kid. And I love this, Brian. I think you'll love it. When she was a kid, she's about 11 or 12 years old. She grew up in Tampa. And her dad would sit her and her brother down at the dinner table and every Friday night ask them the same question. He'd say, all right, kids, what have you failed at this week? She said, 
that question taught her the expectation that my dad and my parents are giving me the invitation to make it okay to fail. In fact, there's an expectation that I'm going to fail along the yeah. way. One yeah. of her failures was like she ran for class president. She didn't, she didn't succeed. She, she wasn't voted in. And, and that taught her about the importance of you know, regrouping and trying again. And now, she says, when somebody makes a mistake, it spanks, especially when it's not habitual and it's a forward-falling, logical mistake that keys the business onto a new insight. She gives that person a high five and reinforces the behavior. So you're exactly right about the perspective on failure and willingness to try absolutely connected to courage because it puts you in your discomfort zone, but also absolutely necessary to strong leadership. Right, right, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, So now let's let's shift a little bit and and go to your book. So leadership, two words at a time. So I'm going to break this up. So tell me, I mean, if, if, if you can, without giving away the book, so how, how did you arrive at two words at a time? What I have found through years and years of executive coaching, you know, I've certainly done my 10,000 hours of executive coaching in the course of 22 years, having coached thousands of executives in hourly conversations. I had, I had four conversations today that I have found that when a coachee is twined up about something and they're, you know, they've got to let off a lot of that steam inside of them and they're processing it and such, at some point I'm going to ask them to narrow it. I say, let's get to real clarity here. If you're laser in exactly on what the solution to this situation that you just described is, how would you, you know, what is the solution in your mind? I'm going to give you a real example because it's really it's the starting point of how the book got to be the book. There was mm-hmm. this guy that I had, you know, I was coaching. He really wanted to become a partner at the consulting company that I was doing the coaching for. And yet the partners didn't want him to be one because they were like, he's too intense. He wants it too desperately. <laughs> it gives him an edge. He really gives off this desperate vibe, and we don't want that kind of vibe. And so <laughs> so I, and, <laughs> So in working with the guy, because they said, look, can you do some coaching with him? So I do some coaching with him, and I said, Steve, let's, let's narrow it. You know, you know what the partners want, and you know what it's going to take to become a partner, but clarify it for me in the fewest amount of words. What is it that you think you need before they're going to be confident putting you there? He said, I guess, you know, Bill, I guess, and he thought for a minute, I guess if I just was calm and confident, and it was like, bing, it was exactly what he needed. He needed to be calm and composed, and he needed authentic confidence. And so we worked on calm confidence. And when he would get ready to go into a meeting where those partners were, he would text me a message and say, hey, Bill, I'm going to see the partners today. CC, CC was his abbreviation yeah. for calm yeah. confidence. Yeah. So what I found over time, coaching plenty of other coachees in the process is if they, the, the more narrow, the fewer the words that they are able to use to narrow in with clarity on what they need to do, the, mm. the likelihood of them doing it goes up dramatically. So I started to think about what are some key essential concepts of business and through coaching that I've learned along the way that are really, if I was going to write a book that just give the new leader, here's the essentials. Here's the things you most need to focus on to keep from going wrong and not just become a leader, but stay a leader. And I've divided the book into three parts. The first part is leading yourself. That's the, there's a whole six chapters on lead yourself. Those are those first two words. 
Then yeah. the second part of the book is on leading others, which is different than leading yourself. And mm-hmm. the third part, you lead yourself, you lead work, uh, lead others, so that you get stuff done. You got to lead the work too. So mm-hmm. if you lead yourself, lead others, and lead the work soundly, and each chapter has a two-word header, and all the subchapters have two-word headers. Those are the areas uh, I say causes leadership fitness, that you'll be fit to lead if you can lead yourself well, lead others well, and consistently get results by leading Mm -hmm. work. So that's the idea of of, uh, Awesome. Awesome, awesome. And so lastly, uh, part of your title is Simple Truths for Leading Complicated People. How do you describe complicated people? Because that that really caught me because I've – I've worked with some really complicated people over the years. Mm. Yeah. Well, what I have found is a lot of new leaders, when they get into a leadership role, uh, you know, the honeymoon's over. Like within three or four or five, six months, they recognize, okay, what I thought leadership was and what it actually is, are, there's a gap there. And one of the things they get slapped in the face with pretty quickly is that, you know, they may have gotten moved into the leadership role because they were operationally really proficient. They were a great practitioner at what they did. They got, you know, technical know-how, a certain brilliance. But now they're leading people, and their half their time is to be a pay, unpaid psychiatrist. That people are fickle, and people are petty, and people are idiosyncratic, and people right. change all the time. And they're a people too. Right. Uh, so, you know the. The, even the, there, there are no simple people I have found. All of us have our own complications and all of us have our idiosyncratic nature and that nobody gives you a playbook on how to lead that. We, we're told, right. let's make production, let's produce more widgets, let's go for efficiency, let's use a stopwatch and get it faster this time. But nobody tells us, well, how do you lead these people of which you are one, knowing mm-hmm. how changing they are and how they're all different that you can try this approach with this person, it's going to really resonate. They're going to be way more productive and effective. You can try that same approach with another person, and suddenly they're not showing up to work. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's, the, it's the shifting nature and the approximation that leadership is. There are no silver yes. bullets. Yes. You know, I mean, and if you come out of, if you are in a different professional discipline like engineering or physics, you can get right, perfect answers. But when it comes to people, you're dealing with gray area all the right. time. Right, right, right. So. But they're also beautiful, re- Brian. I, I, I yes. have to say, they're also beautiful. People oh, are yes, beautiful, yes. and they do amazing things, right? Right, right. Beautifully complicated. Um, yes. And, and, and in addition to what you said, I, I would just say that, not only um, just that there are these different ways of viewing uh, uh, people that many of the situations you find people in, it's different things at the same time. So it, it, that's what makes it complicated, that it's not just it's either one way or another. It is in a very valid sense multiple things at the same time. That's what makes dealing with uh, uh, people so complicated. Yeah. Yes. And you as a leader have to be attuned to that and, yes. and tolerant of it, right? I think, that, I think judgmentalness and sort of a fundamentalist attitude is really gets in the way of, of yes. good, you know, solid leadership. You've got to be able to flex in the moment and, uh, yes. and do that in a way while still retaining principles that are, that are um, 
you know, steadfast. Yes, yes, thank you. Well, listen, I told you it was going to go fast. We're already over time, but I, I, I don't care. We, we just we take it and, <laughs> and, and roll with it. But, Bill, tell us how – so I know I've talked about the book you have, two, Leadership Two Words at a Time. Um, what are the books you have, and how, where can people – find you and follow you and support your work to please share um, any social media handles, but certainly I, you mentioned other books that you have. Uh, so please share those. Yeah, sure. Well, thank you, Brian. And thank you so much for having me on uh, your program today on Perkins platform. It's a, it's a terrific honor. I know you've been doing this now for over a decade with your podcast yeah. and it's out there and got a lot of listeners. And so thank you so much. And, and thank you to all the listeners to tuning in. Uh, and I've got six books now. This new book, Leadership Two Words at a Time, is my sixth book. So go to your online retailer. If you just plug in my name, Bill Treasurer, like the treasurer of a bank. You, you know, if you Google me, you're going to get some stuff. Um, the easiest way to find my company is to just go to couragebuilding.com, and you'll get to Giant Leap Consulting's website. And there's all sorts of material out there, some of which you can download and have for free, and others that are pointing you in other directions. And, of course, yes, I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter, all the regular places, Instagram, etc. cetera. Uh, you can find me, you know, Bill Treasure is the easiest way to find me. And LinkedIn is the best way to find me for business. Um, you know, I have a lot of business connections out there. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, awesome. Well, listen, Bill, you have uh, really contributed to me today, and I'm sure a lot of people listening, I learned a lot. Um, and I just want to thank you for the conversation. Thank you for taking the time. I know we, we've had you scheduled for a while, and I just appreciate you hanging in there and, and, and uh, meeting me today and a virtual meeting at that. Um, but I, I appreciate the conversation, and I'm going to be listening and, and continuing to follow you and your work. And so I just uh, want to wish you much success and just um, uh, suggest that we, uh, we keep in touch. And until we speak again, go well, stay well. Thank you so much, Brian. Take care. <laughs>